Welcome to the Point Noted Podcast with your host, Johnny B, and co-host who shows up whenever he wants to, former NFL player, Rashad Barksdale. It's raw, unfiltered, and no topic is off-limit. We talk sports, entertainment, culture, and a whole lot of random shit. Let's get to the point. Point Noted Podcast, you're hanging out with your host, Johnny B. And on today's show, I have a special guest in the house. I'm super excited uh, for this conversation. Um, we have uh, New York State Senator Alexandra Biaga in the house. Uh, Senator, how are you? Hi, I'm doing great, Johnny. Thank you for having me on the show today. I didn't butcher your name, did I? A little bit. A little bit. I was just going to say. I was just <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you the irony of this? You, are you, do you want to laugh even more? Yeah, absolutely. Please. On today. And this is good for all of your listeners who might have um, a name that's like similar or a name that people mispronounce. I just did this um, post for this campaign on social media called Say My Name, right? So like- Say My Name. There's a whole group of people, honestly, that are having a similar experience, right? So they are in situations where people will look at their name on the paper and be like, hmm, I'm not sure what it is, but let's give it a try. And it's right. like, why do we do that? And like, what happens? And I think, you know, I was I was named after, I think, um, a ballerina in Russia, apparently, is what my parents told me. <laughs> I'm the first person with the name Alessandra in my family. But my own parents sometimes, my dad specifically, will my name is Alessandra and he will say Alessandra. And I'm like, Dad, you named me. This is unacceptable. Right. Like what, right. are you doing? Like, what happened? How did you give me this name but you can't say it? Exactly. <laughs> like, what were you drinking, Pops? That's right, exactly. So it listen, it's all good. It's all good. You are you are certainly not alone in that. Um, but it's Alessandra Biaggi. Alexandra Biagi. Okay, I think I said Biagi. Huh. That's okay. Some people do that too. Biagi. Okay. Biagi. Yeah. I, look, it was just something we struggle in America saying saying names. So, but why we in the name? So I'll ask you this: Would right. you uh, would you give your child uh, easy name just to kind of save them the uh, trouble of having to correct folks all the time through the whole life, or do you think it shouldn't matter? They should have to learn it, uh, and they should just have to figure out how to say my name and say it right. I think the latter. I think that I would give my child, if I have children, um, a name that has like real significant meaning because I think that in when you're in school or in a workplace or in just the world at large, having to say to somebody, especially somebody in an in authority or, or someone who is in um, a higher level of, you know, the company that you work in or you know, a professor, a teacher of high level, high, higher level of power, um, it builds mm-hmm. character, right? It, it forces you, and obviously you have a choice, you don't have to, but it forces you right. to actually say, hey, uh, you know, my name is actually X or Y or Z or whatever it is. And I think it's actually important. It, it's a way to find your own voice. At least that's my journey with my name. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree. I, I think as long as, you know, you're not upset every, every time somebody butchers the name, I think it's perfect. Um, uh, you know, I have friends that has an you know, extremely difficult uh, name, and they just get mad every time somebody messes it up. And I'm like, well, you can change it to Mike James. Right. Um, <laughs> or, you, you know, know you, yeah, I mean, like, there's there's something that I realized that I, I felt disempowered with the, the way that people said my name for a long time, because I actually felt shame that they didn't say my name right. 
So I took mm. it on and I took it personally, but wow. it's not personal, right? Like it has nothing to do with me at all, the way that somebody right. pronounces my name, right? right. So right. I think finding the language, and by the way, this goes with anything. Like, you know, when you're in situations where people are, um, I am a young woman and people have, especially men, have said really inappropriate comments to me, um, mm. the workplace and other places. And for a long time, I had a loss of words simply because I didn't have access to the tools to know how to empower myself. And I think it's right. this our names, right? Like if you just have a mantra of like, hey, you know, my name is actually X. It's not dramatic. You're just correcting your name and then you move on with the conversation instead of internalizing it and making it, you know, personal or about you. And right. I think it's hard to do that because it's your name. It's your whole, right. you know, your our, our identities are wrapped up in our names, but at the same right. time, Right, right. It, it can be a, it can be a moment to actually uh, tell tell the story. You either like it or not. Since they mess yeah. your name up, you're gonna have to hear the story about my name. Exactly, exactly. And it's an empowering moment. Right. Yes. Right. right. Abs- absolutely. Every breakdown is an opportunity for something else. Absolutely. Sometimes it's not an emotional breakdown, right? Correct. <laughs> I mean, even if it was, that gives us an opportunity for recovery, there for healing as well. Um, exactly. Exactly. And, and connection. Yeah. So, um, so I had a friend of mine today and I, and I saw a text a friend. I said, Hey, you know, I'm going to a, a pickup soccer with just a couple of guys. He's going to kick the ball around. Uh, do you want to come out and, you know, have some fun? And he said, nah, COVID is still out there. You know, I, I don't want to die. And I was like, well, I don't think COVID is going anywhere, um, you know, anytime soon. So, so, you know, so I asked him, is, you know, where are we with this COVID situation? Like, is that something we can or cannot do? Just have a bunch of friends get around and play ball outside, or should we just just stay in the house still? I mean, it's not a facial wreck, obviously. It's just friends gathering together. Right. So, you know, it's interesting you ask this question because each interview that I have, I find myself having to correct my language because I keep saying things like, "Well, you know, during the pandemic," but we're still in the pandemic. So, so I don't know what has shifted in my mind other than the fact that. What is very clear and real and true is that we are no longer in the thick of it, right? When we had 800 deaths a day or even right. more, um, or the cases were just like you know, tripling and quadrupling on a, on a daily basis. Our hospitals were overrun. We clearly are um, out of that territory, right? Like we, right. the curve has peaked and we are now, we have flattened it. And that's amazing. The thing that is really important for everyone to know is that uh, we are not out of the woods fully. We right. do not have a vaccine yet. Uh, there are many, many smart, brilliant scientists across the world who are working right. on it. Could be another on it. until we have one, which is, mm. I know it sounds really, that's a hard thing to really accept. Um, right. At the same time, there is an element of what's happening around us, right? Which is, reopening, right? We have reopening phases happening in New York City. We just started on Monday, phase one. In other parts of New York State, we already are in phase two. And so we're seeing retailers open, even if they're doing curbside pickup, or we're seeing manufacturing continue or construction take place. And those are a lot of the symbols of life as it was before the COVID-19 pandemic. So it's, mm-hmm. I think it's sending mixed signals to our minds and to our perception of the world. Like, oh, well, if, the, if those things are fine, then we're safe. Another example of that is last week, the governor announced that uh, summer camp can happen, right? There's obviously right. 
Simpkins on it. Also, I think today, just today, he said that, well, actually pools are open. Now, here's the thing, all right? I don't always agree with every, every piece of guidance that he has. I think that having summer camp is actually not the best idea. Um, and I, I say that knowing full well that there are so many children right now who don't have any other place to go in the summer or, you know, right. and to rely on that summer care or, or those summer youth employment programs that are offered that are so important to making sure kids stay out of trouble and also learn skills and are continuing to develop. At the same time, we are still in a pandemic. And so when you send a signal that the beaches are open, the pools are open, we're having summer camp, you can go to churches, you can go to mosques, you can go to synagogues without really specific guidelines that are clear to people. What, what I'm afraid is going to happen is we're going to just watch the numbers tick back up. So I think, I do think that there has been a shift of like the culture here, meaning that people are wearing masks there. They understand very clearly that that's something that prevents COVID from spreading, that washing your hands, washing down your packages, you know, all the preventative measures that we are taking now, but it's a new normal, right? Until we have a vaccine, we are going to be leaving our house, especially if we're going into closed environments like a supermarket or an office setting um, with masks on. And mm-hmm. it, it feels it feels it feels unusual. It feels unusual right. and it feels like at least for me, I have a yearning to return to a place where I can actually be with people in community and and sitting, you know, and doing the things that we did, like playing games and um, having dinner together and going to restaurants. And so there is this little bit of a sadness for me, at least that I feel, but I also know that the sacrifice that I'm making and not doing that is going to save lives and, I, and, and right. prevent the spread. So, so, you know, you playing soccer, being outdoors is actually being outdoors with people who are not, you know, on top of each other in like a, a concert setting or in another type of setting it actually one of the lowest risk environments to be in um, oh, good. running around and you're kicking a ball around. Right. Um, right. That's we, we know that that's the case being indoors, right. With masks on even while, you know, people are eating dinner or whatever it might be is more of a risk. And so it, it just depends. And I think everyone has to be really smart and also do what's do what is comfortable for them because this is just like, you know, it makes me feel like the end of um, 2016, beginning of 2017, when people who were previously not engaged in um, civics or government kept saying, like, do I, if I don't march, is is there something wrong with me? Like, is there something else I could do? And so to that, just like every other thing, it's like, find what you feel makes you comfortable. Don't put yourself in situations that make you feel uncomfortable, of course. Right. And right. And then like, you know, little by little, do do what's best for you. And, and I think that if everybody does that, we'll, we will be well on our way from having zero cases in the state of New York, having zero deaths related to COVID, and then really making sure that as many people as possible are healthy and safe and well. Right, right. And I, and I totally understand that. I think where I come in being a little more uh, pessimistic is, you know, I feel like uh, the lockdown has really helped us kind of tilt the number downwards, right? Yes. Uh, but as soon as we start going back out, mm-hmm. that number's going to jump up because we either just keeping it inside and hiding it, right? or someone else is going to contract it and start passing it around. Um, and that's where my worry comes as well. If it's going to go up, 
uh, we just got to start now and start being careful and uh, right. being cautious of who we touch and who's sneezing on you or who you remind. Just wash your hands thoroughly, right? Yes. Um, You're so right. that Absolutely that's right. where I was sitting there when I said, okay, maybe I'll just go out there and run around a little bit. Right. You know, once you get done, take everything off and wash off, right? Exactly. As soon as you come home, put your clothes in the washing machine or put your clothes into the wash um, or into like a wash bag that's going to go to the laundry machine at, at some point soon. You know, make sure that you're washing your hands as soon as you come in, right? All the things that we know prevent COVID from spreading. And and being smart is a key component of this. And also, you know, it's funny because I feel like the theme of our conversation is going to be exactly this what I'm about to say, you know, just <laughs> someone says to you like, Oh, you know, Alexandra. And I'm like, actually, no, my name's Alessandra. When you're in the supermarket and someone gets too close to you, speak up. When you're on the street and someone gets too close to you, you don't feel comfortable. Speak up. Like we got to each have to use our voices to, right. to acknowledge and communicate the things that make us uncomfortable. Right. Well, I have this belt that I wear around that's about, it's about six feet poking on the back. So really you can't get too close to me. Oh, wow. Um, whenever <laughs> when I'm helping folks by keeping myself safe. So I said, look, you got to stay, you know, stay back six feet or you're going to get poked by these sticks. So, um, <laughs> you know what that makes know. me think of in Germany, there was a cafe that opened and people could sit outside. But if you sat outside, you had to wear on top of your head, a pool noodle so that in case somebody came by right on each side, it was like three feet. If uh -huh. you pool noodle on your head hit somebody, then you knew you got too close to that person. Too close to them. Absolutely. I love it. That's how it should be. Um, I know. Sometimes, I mean, we do forget we have to get, you know, the distance and somebody get close to you. And I'm like, hold on, please. Yes. yes, exactly. Like, please back up or I don't feel comfortable. You know, I was in the supermarket a while ago and a woman got very close to me and I was like, excuse me, like, I will be done in one second and then you can go over here. And she was like, oh, no, 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 no. It's okay. Like, it's safe. And I... I just looked at her and thought to myself, like, why does she think it's safe? Like, what had what has signaled to her that this is safe? <laughs> like, it's actually not safe, but I'm uncomfortable, so please wait. And so that, you know, made her pause for a minute because anytime that you tell somebody you're uncomfortable, I think a majority of people are reasonable enough to hear that and then to right. right? You mean this lady got that close to you and Maya didn't step in and keep where's Maya doing? She was supposed to step in. Come on, Maya. My, for those of you listening, Maya is my press secretary, and <laughs> she was not present in the supermarket. That is absolutely correct. Okay, all right. So she she get a pass on that. Sorry, Maya, you you're good. Keep doing a great work. Um, <laughs> she's great. Uh, so Sarah, so here, so um, I got a text from a friend of mine, uh, you know, and he said, uh, you know, why can't the Confederate flag just be mm. what it is without being uh such a big deal. So I text him back and I said, uh, imagine your wife wanted to keep a picture of uh, a ex-husband or, uh, you know, ex-boyfriend, just keep it right there in your bedroom, right? Just a picture of every man she's ever been with. Right. And she just want to keep it in the house in the bedroom. How would you feel about that? Mm -hmm. And of course, he said, well, it's not going to happen. Like, hell no, we, we're not having that in my house. I said, well, to some folks, this is what the Confederate flag reminds them of, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I know we have another problem right now all over the country is, you know, we have a division where you say, no, that's not a good thing. We got to remove everything that reminds us of the flag. And then you have the other side that said, no, it's part of our history. So I'm just going to let you speak on that, on the mm -hmm. Confederate flag. How do we get the point across to all this, like, this cannot be out in the open. Like, this cannot be anywhere. 
this is such a beautiful question and it's such a it's such a perfectly timed question as well because there are certain symbols in our world whether it's the confederate flag whether it's the nazi symbol right the swastika mm. um that represent only one thing right they're symbols of hate or they're symbols of division or of oppression and when you look at the confederate flag and you place right. it in history right the confederate army which was representing the south during the civil war was right. an army that was fighting not only for succession right to be their own country they wanted to be on their own they didn't want to be part of the north the union right. in the north. they wanted to be their own country and part of the terms of huge part of what they were fighting for was to continue and to keep slavery in existence. The Confederate right. flag represents slavery. It represents oppression. It represents a part of our history that we don't want a part of. Outrageous. It's it's just an out it's, it's an outrageous and very sad and very unfortunate and and sick part of our history. And right. The fact that, you know, number one, Confederate Army lost the Civil War. Slavery was abolished. Now, we can argue that it actually, in, in the world that we live in, is, is not, right? There, we, and we know that. We have mass incarceration. We, had, mm -hmm. we have all of those situations where there have been white people in the United States of America who have used mm -hmm. policy and have used systems to oppress people of color. That is the world that we live in in the United States. One more thing on that before I, I tie it around to your friend's question. In the United States as well, we also have public schools, we have statues, and we have other buildings and streets and, and et cetera that are named after Confederate Army generals. Right. To me, that is so egregious because it's rewarding someone who fought in a not only a bloody war, but it was actually the war in the United States of America where most America, I think it was like the most number of Americans were killed. Um, it, it was one of the most bloody wars that bloody, right. ever been part of. And so, right. so many lives were lost. And again, it was so clearly premised upon the South wanting to keep slavery in existence. Right. And the fact that we would name a school or have a statue or a street or anything after a government building, right? A government building after that specific symbolism shows all of us that we are not clearly healed as a country when it comes to racism. And I don't have to say that to I think people know that generally, but when you continue to keep these symbols in existence, you perpetuate that oppression. And so it's important to your friend's point, right? It's important to know our history. Mm -hmm. Important also to close the chapter and to move forward and to not celebrate those symbols. And I think the Confederate flag is a perfect example of really, especially now, a, a symbol that is used predominantly by white supremacists. We see right. the KKK walk around with the Confederate flag. Well, who right. is and what do they represent? They represent racism. They, repre they represent hatred of people of color. They mm -hmm. are individuals that are full of hate. And right. if we're going to heal this country, then we have got to remove 
acknowledge that what, what these symbols mean, and then remove them from the places that give them credibility because we, can't, we cannot afford one more second of these symbols to be in places that are of, of importance that will seep into the subconscious of the youth and of all the people in this country to send a signal that it's actually, it's okay because you know, it's, it's fine. It's, it's the freedom of speech issue you want to rely on. But right. government should not be displaying or even selling, right? Or enabling the sale of the Confederate flag. Right, and I know you mentioned the flag is in the war room. That's right. Uh, like, That's I mean, how? I mean, how is that there, and how is it still there? I, I don't understand that at all. So, so for those listening, the war room is inside the New York State Capitol in Albany, and on the yeah. ceiling of the war room, there's a painting um, of many different things. But in there, in one corner of the room, it's the Union Army defeating the Confederacy. Right. So, right. on the one hand, it's like okay, well, it's showing a depiction of the Confederate army being defeated in this battle on the other, or on, in this war, on the other hand, right. The Capitol is not a museum, right? The, right? There's no explanation of what this symbol is. And so if you're walking through the room and you look up at the ceiling and you see a Confederate flag, what do you think it's going to signal to somebody who doesn't mm -hmm. know or is not educated? It's going to signal like, Oh, look in, in New York state in our Capitol, which is where our state government is, doing its business, its most important business for the people of New York, all 20 million of them, look, there's a Confederate flag painted right into the ceiling. It must be fine. So that right. means you have the state fair. No problem. Let's sell Confederate flags. Or at other events, no problem. Let's just put them on our car. It's not okay, right? And so when this was brought to my attention, and I really had no idea, I was shocked that this was there without explanation. But what was even more, I think, upsetting to me, which is what made me act and introduce a bill to prevent government from displaying or selling the Confederate flag, is that this was, <laughs> this occurred during a Black History Month event, which was held in the war room. And it was people who were being, you know, told about the history of the Capitol, but then when they were told to look at the ceiling, there was no explanation right. at all. And when somebody wow. raised the question to say, hey, why is the Confederate flag there? There was no response. That's not- It's more like it was there before me. That's probably what everybody was thinking, right? Exactly, exactly. And so Let's we- make it okay. That, you know? Wow. It's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's terrible. Yeah, I, I, I saw that and I saw it on your- uh, on your Twitter page, and you know, yeah. thank you for being active on Twitter and posting a lot of news feed for me. No, you um, better. <laughs> <laughs> news from there, and I, me being me included in that, and it's like it's the place to go where you can just tell people like what's up in very short, yeah. you know, very short clips, and and if people care about it, then you know that's the kind of thing that can go viral, or people can absolutely really push it to make sure that we do the right thing. Absolutely, yeah, and. and 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 I tie these Confederate flag and everything else is going on in the country to two things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, catering to your voters and just being ignorant doesn't want to care. A lot of politicians have high education. Obviously, it doesn't mean you have sense, but at least it means you're educated so you can discern things. Yes. Um, so them not caring about the flag and even knowing what it means, it just tells me, you know, hey, it doesn't affect me, so why do I care? Or, well, if I say something, then I'm not going to get reelected, right? It's, yeah. It has to be something like that, right? Right. Uh, uh, what, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, you could just drill it all the way down to like, what do we learn in our school growing up? Right. Mm -hmm. How come mm -hmm. people have said over the past three weeks, 
I never learned that. I never understood that. I never realized the history behind, you know, really how this country came into existence. That is a failure of our education system. It's also, honestly, signals to me that we have failed so many people because we have not been honest about who we are as a nation. And and why that's so significant is because when you look, I say this as an example all the time, when you look at countries like Germany and South Africa, okay, the history of the Holocaust is embarrassing to the country. And there is a place you can go without being reminded, right, of how awful it was for that country. Excuse me, my phone is is ringing. Um, But when you also, when you walk the streets of South Africa, it's the same thing. You can't not be reminded of the apartheid. And yet in the United States of America, anytime you even think about or or use a word that would, you know, start a conversation about racism or about slavery, the the instinct is like, we don't talk about that. Or like, no, 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 no. It's not really how it happened. Or revisionist history. Like we've rewritten history to make ourselves look good, but that's no service to anybody because all it does is just continue the oppression because we're not even acknowledging the pain and suffering that went on and has gone on for 400 years. Right. And until we acknowledge it in a real serious way and teach it in a way that honors and, and respects and, uh, he starts to heal what we have done here. We're never going to actually be the irony of this, a real United States. Right. We're going right. to continue to be divided. Right. And I, I, I always feel like unless we're going against the uh, outsider from another country, we're not really united. Right. For example, you know, and it isn't just me probably just going away from topic a little bit, but since we, you mentioned being united, um, you know, we have so many rules for different states. And to me, it doesn't make any sense. Like, we are one United States, but what I can do in New York, I can't do it in New Jersey. Right. Right. And yeah. what I can do in Massachusetts, I can't do in Ohio. Right. And for me, I've always felt like, so where does the United come from? Is it only when we have to fight Afghanistan and Pakistan? Or, like, right. where does that come from? Right. I mean, it's, it's such a good, such a good <laughs> no, I don't know. I want to talk a little bit. Just you mentioned United States. And for me, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Where, how are we united? It's so it's 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 the right thinking because it's when this country began, right? There were 13 original colonies, right? right? And the whole premise of the colonies was to get freedom from the monarchy, from England, right. and fight to make sure that each state would never be governed in such a way that they would be oppressed or or at the beck and call of or, you know, underneath the federal or the monarch, the the crown as they as they said it. Part of what has played out here is that because there is always a pull, a a push and pull when it comes to power, right? And especially when it comes to power like the United States, which we have for many different reasons. Although, you know, one can argue that, you know, since Trump has taken office, we have really significantly decreased power in certain ways. And I think that that is actually accurate um, and that our democracy is very much at risk. When, When we look at how the government was set up after the American Revolution, the most important thing to the states was what was that they were united with the other states, but that they were also able to be powerful as a state. And so states' rights was part of the Constitution. So the 10th Amendment to the Constitution talks about states' rights, and it talks about really federalism in a way where 
states are given the power, each state individually is given the power to determine laws and rules and regulations and make decisions based on the health, the welfare, and the safety of its citizens. Now, the reason for that is because if we had a federal government making decisions for all 50 states across the board, the federal government most likely, if you're looking at the balance of power, which, you know, balancing and having co-equal branches of government was important to them too, would actually be out of whack. The federal government would be practically functioning like a dictatorship or like a monarchy, yeah. oligarchy, right? Where only those who could get to that level or be as powerful as, you know, whoever the president was or in his, ca- his or her cabinet was. And so it was an attempt to have independence. It was, you know, mm-hmm of like the very beginning in Marbury versus Madison and McCullough versus Maryland when we were setting up the banks. I mean, the whole entire discussion was a real push and pull between the states having power, but the federal government and, and making sure it was balanced. And honestly, to your point though, there are some things that make your head kind of like spin around in a circle. Cause you're just wondering like, well, why in New York could someone have more rights or be seen as more equal or treated more fairly than someone from Alabama or, you know, the South, especially. Right. Right. And so that's where I think it feels um, like, like justice hasn't been fully served, but that is also where the opportunity is. Right. Because, you know, I think 2016 and then from there on to now has proven how important our state government is and how directly of an impact it has on its citizens and how important it is to elect the right people and to participating in government. And I I could talk to you about that forever, but it really is super important because without those right people in those seats, you'll see states really do the wrong thing, right? Pro-choice states who, like New York, a sanctuary reproductive state, you know, there's a lot of women in this country who will never be able to access the health care that they could get in New York. That's right. acceptable. Like that just seems so crazy. And yet drill it down. It's because the states have the ability to deal with the health, welfare and safety. And they've taken that to a very incredible extreme. Now, I've just simplified that in a way that I think doesn't do justice to the topic. But law <laughs> is one of the most fascinating subjects that I, I wish it was mandatory for every single person right. who are in kindergarten until the time they graduate from high school. Right. No, I mean, just look, just listening to you, I feel like I can, you know, I can pass any history and uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> history class tomorrow. I was like, wow, I, you know, I, I picked the topic and she's just, she got it going on. So, um, but I, I do appreciate, I appreciate the detail in that. I appreciate you um uh, putting it out there because I mean I, I do know a lot about it, but I know there are listeners out there that are thinking to myself, yeah, like how come I can get a gun license in Ohio, but when I get to New York, right. I can't use it, right? I mean, it's just, it's just little things that you feel like you know it, sh- it should be transferable, uh, you know, nationwide, but it it just isn't. Um, and I know you mentioned FK, and we're gonna dive into some of your policy in a little bit, but I have to ask you, um, I feel like everybody hates this guy, right? Even on Twitter, like the mayor, like. Mayor de Blasio, like, why do everybody hate this guy so much? I mean, it's so, it's like, it's so depressing to even believe that we're in the situation that we're in. Um, But also even saying the word, like, it's so depressing, just kind of prevents the inevitable, which is that Mm -hmm. he's just done a very bad job of leaving Mm -hmm. the city. And it didn't just start with 
COVID-19 or with you know the police brutality marches that are happening, anti-police brutality marches and and anti-racism marches that are happening, the peaceful protests happening, calling for justice. It happened a long time ago. And I think that what is so depressing and sad for so many people is that this was a mayor who ran on a platform that was very progressive and ahead of his time. He was running as the progressive mayor of America, basically, and wow. really promised things like health care for everybody and paid sick leave and affordable housing. And the list goes on. I mean, pick a, an, an agenda item that progressives care about. And wow. he along the way has shown signs that he has not been able to use his power to fight back against police brutality. And it happened right. with Eric Garner and the police officer, Pantaleo, who was not held accountable for years, right? Like this one, th this was to me open shut, right? But right. you have to have political courage even though I wish it wasn't called that because it's simply the right thing to do, but you have to have political courage to stand up to even very powerful forces like the police union and others when you know that the thing that they're fighting for or standing up against is actually wrong. And he mm. hasn't done that. And it's it's been, I think, exacerbated and highlighted more because of the pandemic and because of how poorly New York um, and New York City um, handled the beginning of the crisis, delaying, shutting down. The mayor wasn't listening to his health experts, um, which is just like rule number one whenever there is a health crisis. If you're an elected official, do not be the person to speak to the public. Get a, right. get a health official in front of the camera and someone that has a doctorate or a do is a doctor or a PhD in epidemiology or otherwise so that people know they can trust that person but that's not what that's not what he did it's not what the governor did and honestly the 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 delay to shut down the resistance to shut down the conversations about should we have the St. Patrick's Day parade like give me a break all you have right. to do is look at the rest of the world and see that the best thing that we could do was shut down and it was like an ignorance and an arrogance that cost us lives. And now look look at, you know, from the pandemic, which is still happening again, to I, I have to just keep reminding everybody we're still in a pandemic. Um, still are. <laughs> we are still dealing with this. And look at how many people have come to the streets to march against police brutality because of the death of George Floyd. It is, and, and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and all of the people who have died in the hands of police officers and his comment initially was the police are doing a good job right. give me a break that is out anyway, right you know and you know what it sounds like to me because he by the way mayor de blasio and governor cuomo both did this they saw the footage they saw the videos of the police targeting and attacking peaceful protesters um and and harming them and, and violently attacking them and they did this like gaslighting, right? So said like, no, 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 that's that, I, that's not what I see. I don't see that. What you're saying, you see, I don't see. That's like, I don't know if anybody's ever read the book 1984 by George Orwell. Part of 1984, George Orwell wrote that book many, many years ahead of even the year 1984. But his prediction was that what you know when government is becoming fascist, 
right, or authoritarian when the leaders in, in power will say things to the public like, don't trust what your eyes see, but trust the words I say. And that's what it feels like. It's like right, right. Don't trust what your eyes see. Okay. Exactly. exactly. So, I mean, right. it's a long roundabout answer to your question, but it, there's so many examples. And it, it's like the greatest city in the world, and we have the worst leader. That's not okay. Yeah, no, that's not that's not going to work. And perhaps I think, you know, and I see even the police department don't really like the mayor, which to me is probably right. as bizarre as it can come. Because uh, when I look online, they're always blasting them. The unions always talking bad about them. Uh, everybody seems to want him out of office already. Right. Uh, and, you right. know, and he probably doesn't even stand up for himself and just do the right thing, right? And at this point, trying to win people over because that's just not going to work. Correct. Correct. I mean, the, the best thing to have done during this period of time, right, that we're living through would be to stand with the protesters. Like, how could you not? Mm. And. He didn't. And I, it's just, it, it blows my mind. It really, it really, it does. It, it makes me sad because right. New York state deserves better. And, and yeah, it's a great state. It is. It's, it's the best state. It's the best state, even though California to so many things, it's the best state. <laughs> and, you know, I'm so proud to be a New Yorker. When people, when it, whenever you leave the state of New York and you go anywhere, don't you feel so proud when people ask you where you're from and you say like, yeah, I, like I, I'm from New York. Like I live in New York. New York. Right. 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 And right. dishonoring that by not being the best that they could be. Right, right. It's a beautiful thing to say I'm from New York or I live in New York. I was just right. going right. back to New York. Exactly. Um, so, right. but, um, so you know, we were talking about your name earlier and how I butchered it. And I told myself, I'm just going to say Senator Biagi for the rest of the conversation. Biagi. Um, <laughs> right. Wait, did I mess it up again? No, that's okay. Biagi. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant is that my enunciation is not the best. Um, <laughs> Senator B.I., I'm just going to say Senator, um, for the rest of the conversation. Uh, so, you know, you have like, you know, AOC out there with the perfect nickname. Uh, and I was looking at yours, you got that A.B. Anybody ever call you A.B.? I was, you know what? I was just about to say to you, you can call me A.B. Everybody does, actually. Everybody my- does? Okay. Yeah, I don't know if I want to do that, though, because then I'm just, I, I, need, to do, I need to do better, so... <laughs> I need to do better and just say set it up, just set up B.I.G. So here we go. See, I got it. Um, but um, just to get back on the political side a little bit, and, you know, for you especially, I know you got endorsed by AOC, um, you know, um, and she's pretty much a rock star and superstar. Yes. Uh, you know, how big, how important is that? I mean, very, very important because if, you know, if you remember, I ran an insurgent campaign against the democratic establishment and honestly it it was even more than that it was like the machine of all machines right like the people who were around and surrounding and helping to protect and keeping in power my predecessor were some of the most corrupt people that the state has in office and in positions of power and so it was it, it is important because her support represents not only the future it represents a stand for working people across the state. It represents a stand for social justice, for economic justice, for community, the empowerment of people, the engagement of young people and all people to be part of the political process because the government is actually ours, doesn't belong to anybody else. And so it it's a re, it's a reaffirmation for me that I'm on the right track. That even in those moments where you're making those decisions that are 
hard, not because you feel like they're wrong. They're clearly right, but you might stand alone in making that decision that you're actually ultimately not alone. And I'll tell you right now, you know, we're in the process of transforming our world and it's going to take a lot of bold and brave action. And no matter where you are, whatever you do, even if it's calling out racism in your family or telling a friend that you cannot be friends with them anymore because right. your behavior doesn't align with your principles or your values. Right. It could be right. things. It's going to feel lonely, actually, and right. it's going to feel really uncomfortable, and it's going to feel scary. And right. yet it's the right thing to do. And no matter where you are in the world taking a stand, you're not alone. And so that's what her support represents to me. And, you know, it represents also what we're building, right? Because so much, I think, in politics, what we talk about is like, it's like the us versus them and the division. And it's like, all we talk about is this like cycle of, you know, attack and and like you're in a war. And honestly, what I feel like we're doing is actually building a new paradigm of the world and making it fairer for everybody and more just for everybody. And that's not an easy thing, but it's also not something you can do alone, right? It takes an army of people to do it at every level of government and, and business and community. And it's really exciting. And I feel very fortunate to represent a borough and represent a district that overlaps also with her congressional district, because right. there's been a lot that we can do to build in the areas that have been broken down by corrupt leadership, by lack of leadership, by self-interest and corruption. And I'm internally grateful for that. Absolutely. She's great. She's great. I think uh, a lot of New Yorkers were, you know, we feel the same way about her. Um, I know when she's forgotten got in the office, I was um, following her pretty closely. Just, I mean, she was in the news all the time and we were just following and following. So it's great that you can have that. Yes. Uh, like you said, it's just what it means. Uh, that's, that's, the, um, that's the important thing. Um, by the way, so I love your policies. I was going through it. I'm like, man, it's pretty detailed. It's a lot of good stuff in here. The healthcare, the immigration bill, which I love, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had an immigration attorney on the other day was just talking about immigrants and you know how we helping people to stay legal in this country. Uh, but I know that you don't have, uh, you know, as a as a guy that's still paying student loan, you don't have anything on there that mm-hmm. talks about forgiving the student loan. Mm-hmm. Um, you have any? plan or advice how to take care of my student loan without me actually paying it? <laughs> uh, yes, actually, we should cancel student loan debt. So Senator Kevin <laughs> Thomas um, uh, from Long Island has a bill on that that I fully support, the details of which escape my mind at the moment, but it's basically okay. to provide relief for those who have student loan debt at the state level. Um, I, by the way, have student loan debt. I am drowning in my law school loans in a way oh, that I can imagine. concerns me, right? Like I graduated law school 2012 and it's 2020. And the number, I have paid it every single month that it's come up. I've actually even paid off some of the individual loans. The number has increased. Wow. How is that even? I don't understand. How is that possible? Right. Possible. So that's why we are drowning, right? Exactly. And our generation, I'll tell you right now, you know, there was a Washington Post article two and a half weeks ago that came out, and I was like, you know, I don't need to read this article to to know what's going on because I'm literally living it. So like, thank you for reminding me. But it basically (laughs) said, you know, millennials are the generation that have lived through and will live through 
um, the worst economic downturns in the entire history of the United States and will be negatively impacted because of it more than any other generation. That's awful, right? Like that's a terrible situation to be in. And also part of how we come out of that is by making sure that our student loans are forgiven. If we can forgive the banks and we can give these, you know, the corporations bailouts. Exactly. And not hold accountable big business. It's like, well, what are we doing for those of us who make up the majority of the country? And by the way, millennials and Gen Z are going to be the largest voting bloc in American history, which gives us more power than any other generation combined, which is amazing. And we ought to use that power and vote and run for office and do all the things we can do. But right. we also have to have our loans forgiven or our interest rates be lower than the interest rates that the banks also borrow on. When a bank borrows money, the interest rate that they have to pay back the money on is is almost three times lower than what the interest rate is that we pay. How is that right or fair, right? We don't have the ability to leverage our economic situation into a consolidation. And so it's, it's, it's just like one system on top of the next system that pushes it down. So anyway, listen, it's on the top of my list of things to care about, not only because it personally affects me, but because it's going to affect our whole entire country because we're not going to buy homes and, you know, send our kids to school or do anything really, because we're just going to be paying our loans. Yeah, I know. It's just every single month is coming out and I'm not happy every month, but uh, you know, <laughs> I get it. So uh, I think for, like you said, you know, for people our age, it's, it's one thing we look forward to is every time somebody say, hey, I'm going to cancel your student loan. You have my vote, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's all it takes to get my attention and everybody has attention. Uh, so we, uh, absolutely, sure. Maya. Yeah. yeah, so Maya just reminded us that uh, the Senator have to go. Um, yeah, so Senator have to go. Thanks, Maya. <laughs> I'll I'll come back anytime. I'm serious. Okay. Yeah, we can definitely, we can definitely do that. I definitely appreciate, uh, I don't want Maya to get mad at me. So, uh, (laughs) definitely, uh, (laughs) we definitely appreciate you, uh, stopping by. I mean, I have more questions. I'll definitely save it for next time. Please. Uh, please. So yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for stopping by. I appreciate it. Johnny, thank you for providing a platform for people to be able to know what those in government are doing and making and the decisions that they're making on their behalf and what they care about. This is like, this is the most important thing we can be doing right now. So I appreciate all your work and and the platform you're providing. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time out. I appreciate it. Got it. Be safe as well. Okay. Have some some fun playing soccer. I'm going to try. I'll try. Thank you. Thanks, Maya. You got it. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Point Noted Podcast with Johnny B. and Rashad B. Follow us on Twitter at PT Noted and Instagram at Point Noted. Hit the subscribe and follow button to follow us and check out more episodes of us talking a whole bunch of shit. You've been noted.